everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. We have a great conversation coming up with the horror director Chelsea Stardust, and before we go, if you've been paying any attention to me on any parts of the internet, you will not be surprised to hear that we are going to address the season one finale of Yellow Jackets, so stick around for that. But the less time I spend talking to you about that, the more time I have to tell you about my co-host for this episode, Chelsea Stardust. She is the director of both Satanic Panic and Blumhouse's Into the Dark installment, All That We Destroy, which you can find on Hulu. Chelsea Stardust is an expert in horror, and it kind of goes without saying because of those titles I just told you, but also I, I cannot stress it to you enough that Chelsea watches movies at like a greater consumption rate than anybody maybe I know, and she keeps a little notebook that she takes um, that she takes notes down notes and thoughts down into. So this is a woman who knows what she's talking about. She is a brain trust of horror information. Welcome to the show, Chelsea. Is there anything else we need to know about you before we get into the conversation? Uh, that is perfect. Thank you okay, so much great. for having me. So happy to be here. <laughs> well, then uh, tell the folks at home, I guess, what movie and what character have you brought to us to discuss today on the pod? Uh, yes. So uh, I have brought to you the 1988 Tim Burton classic, Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. And when I first saw that movie, I was a uh, was a teenager, it was very mm -hmm. probably like 12 or 13. And um, I fell in love with Lydia Dietz. So that's that's where it begins. <laughs> well, Lydia Dietz is definitely one of our, I mean, one of our millennial icons. Yes. I mean, that is, she is a formative figure. I feel like if there was any little girl that was going to grow up into shopping at Hot Topic <laughs> at the at the nearest mall in middle school, they at one point or another, it was they were either like a Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas or like a Lydia Dietz goth at one point or another. 100% accurate. <laughs> did you did you have like the the sock sleeves of like of Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas? Were you were you a hot topic shopper? Oh fuck yeah, I was a hot topic okay. shopper. Oh my god, I still on my key ring have the little card for a frequent shopper you know you get the hot topic card and they send me emails <laughs> with coupons and i still shop there at christmas for people so amazing yes i still still go to hot topic and nightmare before christmas was i i thought i saw beetlejuice before that but of course mm -hmm. i loved nightmare before christmas and yeah you know, the cd and all of that but lydia specifically i like had part of her wardrobe I like owned. And so uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> I like immediately I saw her and I was like, oh my God, is that me? I think that's me. <laughs> <laughs> the little like like I would imagine like almost white haired blonde child. Oh yes. In Ohio that you were big blue eyes, just like there's me, Lydia D. <laughs> <laughs> totally because I was like, I wanted to dye my hair. I was not allowed until I was much older. And <laughs> But my, my, and there were just like so many similarities between us within the movie that I immediately connected with her. So, mm -hmm. and Beetlejuice is of course like, um, it is great, uh, gateway horror as well. Um, absolutely. So it, it helped shape my love for the genre as well. Um, and I, I grew up like very, very young, grew up on Pee Wee. So, mm -hmm. um, Same. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, the, the the music, it's obviously Danny Elfman. So like the way the movie starts, it's like immediately taking you into this world with this sort of like slightly carnival-esque theme to it. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. because I like recognized the music and had loved Pee Wee, like I was already set up to and love Tim Burton in general. So I was right. set up to love the movie and obviously can like, can quote it and I have it on vinyl <laughs> and all, all sorts of, I had a, shirt from Hot Topic that said Beetlejuice and it was one of those baby tees. So it was teeny, teeny, tiny little shirt. <laughs> Tiniest shirt. That I've since passed on to like my my friend's children because I can't even get like my arm in it anymore. Um, <laughs> I held on to it for a really long time though. And I'm like, you know, I could probably just buy another Beetlejuice shirt because there are hundreds. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're not lacking for merchandise here. Now describe for us Beetlejuice. What is Beetlejuice about? Okay. So um, if there's anyone out there who has not seen this movie you need to right, write yeah. that wrong fucking immediately i believe it's, yeah, on, pause, it's on hulu pause us right now go listen it is it is yeah. available on hulu yeah so um so beetlejuice is about um the maitlands which is barbara and adam maitland which is alec baldwin and gina davis and they live in this farmhouse and it's very cute and so they go into town and they get their supplies and a dog runs out in the middle of the street and they swerve to avoid the dog. Car goes into river. And then you see them coming into the house. They're soaking wet, talking about, oh my God, that, that accident was crazy, blah, blah, blah. I'll make some coffee and you get some wood for the fire. Well, maybe we should just take things extra slow. Do you remember how we got back up here? And then it's revealed that they find out that they are dead. You know what? I don't think we survived the crash. And then, and then, like, it's, it's it's amazing how much time we spend in this movie without meeting the Dietzes. Like, I had yeah. forgotten, kind of, as I was rewatching this, being like, oh, we get a fair amount of time with the Maitlands in the house and coming to terms with their death before the Dietzes get there. Totally. And then the rest of this movie begins. So we we don't, I actually wrote down, we don't meet, we meet Lydia 14 minutes into the movie. She has her signature wide-brimmed circular black hat. What do you think, honey? Delia hates it. I could live here. With just the all black and, of course, carrying a camera attached to the camera as as her insufferable stepmom, uh, Delia, played by Catherine O'Hara, is just barking orders at the movers. Careful, that's my sculpture. And I don't mean mine and I bought it. I mean, I made it. It's my sculpture. And her dad, who is like in real estate development, I feel like as near as we can tell, um, he just wants, he has left New York City. They have moved to Connecticut to the country for him to relax. He just wants to relax. I'm here to relax and clip coupons. And damn it, I mean to do it. And all Delia wants to do is rip up this house, remake it in her image. And Lydia's like, I like it here. It's probably haunted. We should just leave everything the same. And the, there's, it's important to note that Lydia can actually see, sees them in the window. And then Barbara's like, I think that little girl can see us. I think she, she can see us, but they're trying to, they're like, we want to get these people out of our house. We want yeah. our house back. Yeah. Um, they they want to haunt the Dietzes out of the house. Yes. And that is, I mean, and once they, they realize they're very bad at being ghosts. And so against the advice of counsel, of their caseworker, they turn to the very compelling and charismatic in his own way, Michael Keaton's Beetlejuice, for assistance in bioexorcism. No, we just want to get some people out of our house. Ah, I understand, I understand. Well, look, in order to do that, I'm really going to have to get to know you guys. You know, we got to get closer, move in with you for a while, get to be real pals, you know what I'm saying? And... 
My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 go ahead, shoot. Well, well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? He specializes in terrorizing the living and they make the devil's bargain to bring him on to purge the home. And, and over the course of it, build a relationship, though, with Lydia. And it becomes the question of, like, can these ghosts live with these people or is it only uh is it only an either or must they boot them out of the house according to like the ghost yes. rules and once they bring beetlejuice on board can they purge <laughs> him from the home before he just terrorizes absolutely everyone into oblivion also there's other interactions with beetlejuice obviously like our title character michael keaton who's like incredible in this role and it's uh he has some of the most amazing lines of dialogue he is totally disgust like a disgusting creature and yeah. um is just <laughs> the worst and the best like yes the, the absolute worst and the best this is a virtuoso performance of michael keaton we just we really don't talk enough about how good he is yeah i think like people i think we i think people kind of forget um about this i i know it sounds crazy but it's like everyone tends to always think about batman and so i think people kind of forget and he's just so great in this performance mm -hmm. and I remember I met um the first real movie set I was ever on um when I moved out to LA and was an assistant um he he was in the movie he so I got to meet him and <laughs> all I wanted to do was talk about Beetlejuice and yeah. I was like <laughs> I'm was sure like, you you gotta you gotta keep it under control and yeah yeah and I ended up, he he went to high school with one of my really close friend's mothers. So I talked oh. to him about that. That was like this, oh. I was like, hey, weird coincidence. I think my friend's mom went to school That's with you. And he was like, in. oh my God, how is she? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I have never met this woman, but I acted like I knew everything about her. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. And he can so, answer all of Michael Keaton's questions about this woman. Yeah. And he was so wonderful and um, just such a great, like, down-to-earth dude and was very approachable. Um, but I was losing my shit about it. <laughs> for our for our purposes here, for the you and Lydia of it all, what was the what was the moment in her character? What something she did, something she said, something she a way she reacted where you were like, oh my God. I, there I am like, oh, oh, shit, there's something more going on here that is resonating so specifically for me amidst all the other things that I'm enjoying where I am. I am connecting with this character in a kind of extraordinary way. Yeah. So um, there's a couple of things that I, it's, it's actually kind of sort of like chronological throughout the movie as so. I grew up in a very rural area in the Midwest and mm -hmm. in a farmhouse. So she ends up moving into, I've lived there my whole life. They are clearly coming from the city, coming from somewhere else. However, mm -hmm. she is an only child. I mm -hmm. am an only child. Um, her, this is her, her stepmother is this, is an artist and a sculptor. My mother is a sculptor. Yeah. My mm -hmm. mom does really weird stuff that literally looks like it could be in a Tim Burton movie. So when mm -hmm. I saw Delia's sculptures, I was like, that's like what my mom does. I remember being like <laughs> very puzzled and being like, huh, that's interesting. 
obviously her like fashion sense. I've always been like goth adjacent. Um, yeah, and I've yeah. always, you know, my parents were like, wear whatever you want. They were like, they never like really censored my clothes. So I had, like, yeah, your parents were like, they, your parents were the Maitlands kind yeah, of. Yeah. Kind of what, yeah. Like they, they, they were, were kind of the, yeah, they were, they were sort of the parents that Lydia was hoping to have. Totally. They were kind of like, uh, yeah, they're more the Maitlands, but with these aspects that like yeah, Delia yeah, yeah. has, you know? And so, you know, so I was allowed to wear like, you know, fishnets and big combat boots and plaid miniskirts and black shirts and mm-hmm. with safety pins on them. And, you know, uh, I definitely like was wearing black nail polish and lipstick and all that stuff. But also when you first meet Lydia, she has a camera. Mm-hmm. I always was running around with either my dad's video camera or a Polaroid camera or um, my dad, like a fi- old school film camera um, before mm-hmm. digital cameras. So I had one and I was always taking pictures around the property, around the farm. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, she takes pictures too. That's so mm-hmm. cool. Um, you know, she didn't even, she saw the spider in the spider web and was like, I could live here. And I was like, I can relate to that. Like, I'm totally into that. But I... Remember, she she like at one point she she says, my whole life is a dark room. Yeah. Yeah. Because Charles prom- promises to build her a dark room in the basement when they get the house all set up. And exactly. she explains to him, my whole life is a dark room. One big dark room. Yeah. And I was also like a very like I. I'm a Pisces. I'm very emotional. I was. I'm I was going to say, dramatic. were you? Were you? A, were you? An, <laughs> were you a moody child in the way that Lydia is? Is a moody child. I was a. I was a dramatic child. So okay. I was definitely very dramatic. I was very. Uh, I was very emo child. So. I could very much relate to that. Like I was reading Sylvia Plath when I was in mm-hmm. late high, late middle school, or early high school. So like, I remember reading the bell jar and I was like, this mood, this, this book has changed my life, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and also she, um, she references uh, Night of the Living Dead. And that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies. And I had seen that movie, I think before I had seen Beetlejuice. And I was like, oh my God, she, she, she's talking about Night of the Living Dead. I mm-hmm. love Night of the Living Dead. So it was like, little things like that and of course her iconic line which is is you know what i i lived by is i myself am strange and unusual well i read through that handbook for the recently deceased it says live people ignore the strange and unusual i myself am strange and unusual and when she said that line i was like oh there's someone else who also feels strange and unusual so that must be okay. And my parents that is, always encouraged me to be strange and unusual. And I am left totally like, like, like weird stuff and uh, stuff. And also like my parents always like very much encourage that. So that yeah. line, I myself am strange and unusual is like, it was the first time where I was like, oh, this is someone else who is like me and it's okay for me to be like that. Well, and that is, I mean, that really, that line really gets to the heart of, that right line really gets to the heart of the character. And I, and I think a heart, a, 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 the heart of the conversation, which is like, how how were you the strange and unusual child? Like, what was the strange and unusual about you that you were looking at in a Lydia Dietz and being like, giving, finding in her a permission to, to be, you were supportive, but finding in her a further permission to be that strange and unusual you. Like what, what was that? Yeah. So after like, I was sort of, you know, growing up in the middle of 
nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the daughter of artists. So both, cause both my parents are artists and they, you know, we would go to all these art shows and they, you know, they, they, they also loved Tim Burton. They love my dad, like went to college with David Lynch. So I was seeing David mm-hmm. Lynch kind of a lot and I was really loving. Um, and they showed me all sorts of cinema, a lot of experimental cinema and, all sorts of really wild and crazy art, a lot of modern art too. And mm-hmm. um, so that's something I just like automatically gravitated towards and really mm-hmm. liked. But then when I would go to talk to my peers about it, they would be like, mm-hmm. what, the fu- what are you talking about? Or yeah. certain books I was reading. What, what is that? Like, oh no, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not reading that. Uh, or music I was listening to. Like, mm-hmm. not only was I listening to like, a lot of rock and roll, like Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix, but I was also listening to like Eric Satie and like classical <laughs> stuff. Like, but Eric Satie is like kind of like sad sort of music. Yeah. And a lot of Simon and Garfunkel and things like that. And they're like, oh, we're going to the NSYNC concert. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I'm not listening to NSYNC. That must mean I'm like not cool. And I was like, yeah. it made me very self-conscious. And also I was, you know, dressing a little bit differently. I was, I was, doing more of the like goth end of clothing and everyone was doing the more like wearing the adidas looking like limp biscuit kind of sort of thing oh god yeah at the time they sure were yeah and and that just I was like oh that's not really and I wanted to I felt like I was expressing myself through my clothes and my apparel it was kind of like about control and I was like oh that's something I can have control over Mm. and it just had such a huge impact on me. And it also helped me because Lydia is so like knows who she is and she's Mm -hmm. so uh, sure of herself, but she's also, you see her growth in the movie too. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I really was curious about and was really interested in. And I was like, oh, well, you know, she, she knows who she is and like, you know, but, but it is also open to change and, Mm -hmm. and uh, how other people like these friendships affect her life, like with Barbara and Adam and, and, you know, that's something I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And it was like very inspiring to me. And it helped me not be, I guess, scared of that and to be open to that. Well, and, and did you then did you then at the time when you see this person who is so sort of like settled in themselves as their their identity? Did, was that something where you saw like, I see that as an aspirational thing because that's what I strive to be? Or did you see that as something that you identified with because you too felt that sort of sense of certainty, but there yes. was a, like... I don't know why other people aren't vibing with this. So was it, were, were you the secure in yourself or were you more the searching type at that age? I think I was pretty secure in myself, but because I was like, I was really like horribly bullied too. And I was like, Ooh. oh, there must be something the way a lot of people react, like, um, reacted. Maybe there's was it something for the, wrong the with Lydia-ness, me. The Lydia-ness of you, like those kinds of signifiers, were those I, the kind of things you caught shit for? Yeah. Yeah. That I was just different and weird. And, mm. um, and because I, I would talk about the things I love and like, wouldn't hide them. Then people are like, Oh, you like that? Like what's wrong with you? And I was like, I just, I was like, Oh, do I have to, does this mean I have to like change who I am? But when I saw her, I was like, well, she didn't, she, she doesn't, she knows who she is and is Mm -hmm. confident who she is. And I am too. And I shouldn't hide that. Like I should be proud of that. All right. We are going to take a quick break, but we've got so much more to get into with Chelsea Stardust still to come is my favorite part of the show. What does Chelsea see Lydia Dietz becoming after the movie? My vote pansexual, witch. stay with us.
For over a decade, MaxFunCon has been an incredible weekend of learning, connecting, and laughing with folks in the MaxFun community. And, if all goes according to plan, the last regularly scheduled MaxFunCon will take place in Lake Arrowhead from June 3rd to June 5th, 2022. We have a very limited number of tickets remaining. To make them available to the maximum number of people, we'll be opening our waitlist for tickets on January 23rd at 5pm Pacific. That'll be your chance to be first in line to purchase tickets, and we'll go down the waitlist until we're at capacity. More details at maxfuncon.com. And mark your calendars for Sunday, January 23rd at 5pm Pacific. I'm John Moe. My show, Depression Mode, is all about mental health. And this week, I talked with Amanda Knox. She spent four years in an Italian prison for a murder she didn't commit. That's a lot of trauma, and she's okay talking about it. If I touch on something that you'd rather not get into, just say so, we'll cut the whole exchange out. But it also seems like you're pretty open, <laughs> open about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am having trouble imagining anything that you could talk to me about <laughs> I that know, I... I know, what are we going to throw Amanda Knox with? <laughs> Depression Mode with John Moe, only on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola. Like I said before, I'm talking with the horror director, Chelsea Stardust. She is the filmmaker behind the horror comedy Satanic Panic, as well as All That We Destroy, an installment in Hulu's into the Dark series, also from Blumhouse. The character that makes her feel seen? Lydia Dietz from the 1988 classic Beetlejuice. We are going to talk about impact. And this is as you have gone on to become a genre filmmaker, Chelsea, and you were saying that like, you know, the sort of horror roots in you. Lydia is part of that antecedent. She is part of that that origin story of, of it sounds like, of, of the career you have today. So how... How did Lydia Dietz contribute to sort of like that artistic identity that shaped you? Yeah. So I think when I saw that movie, because I, you know, I knew I wanted to make movies at like a very, very young age or be involved in them in some way. And as I made it probably like it started with, I think it actually started with Lydia. Because when you asked me about this podcast, I was like really thinking about really early on who you know, I saw myself in and because there's also other characters that I would see little facets of myself. Yeah, in. it wasn't. An, but I was like, in terms of like the most um, things in common that I connected with it, it was Lydia. And it also made me start to think I would look for that when I would watch other movies mm. and of other characters I could connect with or relate to because I was like, it started to make me aware of representation and mm. as I was watching movies, I was like, well, if there's if there's a character in a film that I connect with and I see myself in, then it must be that way for someone else, too. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm not I know I'm not I'm not utterly alone in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was I, I kind of kept it in the back of my head where. I was thinking about that with with character representation, both in movies I watched and then in things I made. And to make mm -hmm. sure, even if it was the slightest thing that there was, that certain characters were infused with something mm -hmm. of me in them. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's because I was like, well, if if this movie connects with me on that level, yeah. then there's another young woman out there that could connect with 
this character in this film or this moment in this film with this character or whatever it it may be. But that was the first time I was ever like really aware of that that transition as a viewer than to a creator. Well, and, and tell me about the tell me about the Tim Burton of it as well. And like you being a young person, like obviously again, the interest in horror, like what is what is something like this for you as like a little child, like baby creative who's going to come into like this filmmaking career? Like there's so much watching the movies that we grew up on that were like kid, like adult movies that like had the whimsy and the fantastic that like allegedly appealed to children, but were like dark <laughs> fucked up like the movie like tim burton movies we grew up on and movies like the dark crystal and the secret of nim like really yeah. heavy material for children what is watching something with this level of kind of fantastic do for you like there there's so it, it, there's infinite possibility it feels like when you're watching those early early tim burton movies for what you could see or experience and yeah so tim burton is specifically was such um, an inspiration to me as a creative and a filmmaker. And again, it it, it came from Pee-wee, both the TV show, but then when he did yeah. the movie, which was his first movie. Um, and I and I also I'm the kid that loved the dark Disney. Like I like the I like the Sleeping Beauty. I like the Snow White. I like uh, yeah. um, Black Cauldron. With seeing Pee-wee and seeing Beetlejuice, also you watch those movies now as an adult. And I was like, oh my God, there is so many things in this I never wow. caught as a kid. Wow, yeah. I'm like, Woo. whoa. Especially like Beetlejuice is like so inappropriate. And I was like, so wow, inappropriate. right over so my head as a kid. lewd and inappropriate. Oh, yeah. So gross. And, um, <laughs> but but I think, so, so with Tim Burton's work specifically, and that's also- and I grew up loving, like I said, I love John Waters. I, I mm-hmm. like these. Um, again, it's an example of a director who knows exactly who they are and yeah. what they want. Like, there, you know, when you see a Tim Burton movie, you know it's a Tim Burton movie. And yeah. they're a little left to center. They they totally embrace the, the... They basically take all sort of this weird, <laughs> very weird left of center, unusual stuff and they kind of bring he's bringing it into a mainstream and even yeah. like looking at i've loved edward scissorhands growing up as well um and it's sort of like kind of giving not that you need permission but giving you permission to be like yeah it's, it's okay to like this like the, you're not yeah. the only one who likes this there are other people that like this and then when you find out people when you connect with uh with other people on those movies like oh do you like that movie oh i like mm-hmm. that movie too this person and i might have this a same kind of aesthetic and yeah. then that sort of becomes this like sense of community in, oh, you love this kind of movie. I love this kind of movie. And mm-hmm. I haven't really, um, the next uh, movie I'm hoping to direct, Tim Burton is actually a huge inspiration for the writer in terms of the mm. world that he's he's creating with the script. And mm-hmm. so when we met to talk about it, he's like, oh yeah, this is supposed to be a heightened reality a la Edward Scissorhands, a la Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. a la, where it seems like, oh, this is um, taking Americana and turning it up to an 11 kind of thing. Right, um, right, right, right. Yeah, and so I th- I heard that. And I was like, oh my God, this is my this is my chance to like do my mm-hmm. Tim Burton homage is like in hopefully in this next thing I, I do. And I even pay homage to Beetlejuice in, there's a movie I did when I was in, a short film I did when I was in like 11th or 12th grade. And- <laughs> 
I made it a faux documentary called Spinal Shatter, which is off of Spinal Tap. Cool, yeah. And uh if you didn't catch that. uh, And then... (laughs) And I had two friends dress up like Lydia and Beetlejuice, and I interviewed Mm -hmm. them. Um, I did this faux (laughs) interview, and I took took characters from all sorts of movies, and then I had clips from those movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I've rewatched it recently. It does not make any sense whatsoever. Um, Mm -hmm. But... I thought about this because I was like, oh, my God, Beetlejuice. I'm, I'm even doing stuff with Beetlejuice in high school, like for a for a English. It was for an English project. Yeah. And I would do trivia. And I don't even know how I found that trivia out because, well, no, I think IMDb did exist at that time. But I was talking about like the Dietz's name and that it was connected to Eileen Dietz from The Exorcist. And I was throwing in all of these <laughs> like little weird tidbits of information. Mm-hmm. Um but it even started to infuse into my work, like mm-hmm. as a you know future creative. Then, um, and of course, I saw you know in in all of his um, uh, production design, mm-hmm. all of that, in, all the incredible production design he do, he did. I saw like my parents work in that too. Yeah, so yeah. I just felt con- I just felt connected to Tim Burton. I, I want to talk to you about like the sort of evolution of your relationship with this character. And I think this is such a, she's such an interesting character to have this conversation about because we get that really tidy line. The I myself am strange and unusual. (laughs) And, you know, when we feel, when we grow up feeling strange, that's not necessarily something that, goes away entirely like it it, like if you if you kind of feel like you're a bit of the a bit of the odd duckling in the bunch like you grow into yourself of course but like I feel like that sort of fundamental strangeness can kind of hang around for a long time we just learn to embrace and celebrate that so what is what is your relationship with your strange and unusual over the course of like growing with this character and revisiting it yeah, well, I um, definitely still feel strange and unusual, but I have a tribe of strange and unusual. I have a coven mm-hmm. of strange and unusual people in my life. So, um, and then seeing this film, like watching it now as an adult, it's sort of like look looking like looking back at because mm-hmm. I see now it's now I watch it and I there's so much of like things with Barbara I'm relating to too but it's looking back on like you're sort of reflecting on your young self and I was like part of me is like I I, sh- I Lydia is like looking at my younger self and being like god I wish I could have told like I wish I would have had even had I didn't quite have all the confidence that Lydia had when I yeah. was younger and I was like man I wish I could have told <laughs> that my younger self like when I was watching this like because of this character um embracing who she is this mm-hmm. will help me late, like later in life. And that mm-hmm. it's like, it's going to be okay. And there were still times when I was like nervous to be strange and unusual or to speak, even, even coming down to like speaking my mind, which Lydia like is very vocal about the stuff yeah. she thinks and about, you know, when she doesn't like something and it's like telling, standing up for something and she doesn't like what her parents or author is doing or whatever. Yeah. And also her, her parents relationship with her, um, it's so funny because Delia is so is a so dramatic and so yeah yeah like two and eleven and then to see like Barbara and Adam like completely embrace her for who she is and that's mm. I was very lucky that my parents were like that as well mm-hmm. um, but 
looking back, it's, it's I have a very like nostalgic feeling now when I watch yeah. because it's like, oh my God, I see so much of myself in her. I sort of, I was like, man, I watch it and be like, should I should have studied this more. I should have thought about this more. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I now, got to when, the same conclusion, but <laughs> when did, when do you, can you, do you know when you might've started hitting that inflection point where you were like at a certain age or had taken in sort of enough media and influences or what have you or like developed in yourself enough? Can you, do you know around when you could start recognizing like the 30,000 foot view point of view on this character where it's like, oh, wow, that was a big deal for me. Like where in sort of your movie viewing life? Could it like, did it start becoming available to you to be like being able to process and like have the language to process that, that kind of look back ability that like being able to view it as something nostalgic and like, man, if older me, if, if older Lydia Dietz me could have gone to Lydia, little me, like when did that, you know, when that started happening in your life? That was probably like maybe somewhere in my, probably more recently than I'd like to admit, probably like late twenties, maybe in college though, (laughs) in college, like, I think I was, um, more because it was, I could start over. I, there was, Uh there was one person I went to high school with that went to my college or one or two people that went to my college, but it was so big that I like rarely, and I was friends Mm -hmm. with them, but rarely saw them, but I could really start over again. So, um, and I could really fully embrace who I was and not hide who I was or try to like change something to impress somebody else because of their attitude about something like that and like something I could speak up about it. And that, that opinion would be respected. And so I think it was then where I kind of fully embraced who I was and had the confidence to do mm-hmm. that as well. Now, so what I'm curious, what's what when you got to college and you had that, like, I can start for what did start fresh look like for you then? What <laughs> what was that like? All right, now I am in control of this and there's no baggage behind it. So what did that look like when you were like let loose compared yeah. to like maybe in high school? Yeah. Um, uh, well I had sex, um, which is something I had <laughs> gotten to do in high school. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, full transparency to, uh, like as soon as I could, like as quickly as possible. I remember my best friend and I talking about how we couldn't wait to go to college to get laid. Um, so you were, def- you were in a parents. teen movie. You were in a teen yeah. movie that it was I guess- like, by the end of first semester, we're going to, it's going to do it, man. Yeah. Well, I guess it was right after I graduated high school, actually, like the summer after was like my first like big romance, but, um, I, it just like in high school, it just like was not happening because I think I was just too fucking weird or something. And of course, (laughs) of course, it's so funny that people like you go to high school with, they come out of the woodwork and like years and years later, like a decade later, they're like, oh, I had such a big crush on you. And I was like, yeah, they really do. They multiple people. And I was like, yeah, that's great. You know, it doesn't do me any good now, but thank you so much. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Giving me the opportunity at the time. Yeah, I'm flattered. Um, But I also like, I wanted to cut my, finally was able to cut my hair. My my parents kind of loosened up a little bit on that. Like I got to cut my hair. I got contacts. I got my braces off, like right (laughs) as I was graduating high school. And that kind of like uh, changed everything. And then in college, I could wear so you whatever were like, oh, I want. I, I got, I got, I got hot. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of, sorta. But well, people like didn't recognize you could, you me. Could, like you could like confidently, like not that not everybody is beautiful, but like you could you could believe in the visage before you and be like, okay, hot me has arrived. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know well, it now. I believe it now. I'm in it now. Totally. When I was when I like I got my I cut my hair, uh, put like a lot more blonde in it. I I colored it. I got my braces off and I got contacts. 
all like right the day before I graduated. And oh, so I wow. showed up for Whoa. graduation and people <laughs> did not recognize me. People legit, they did adult, they're like, Chelsea. And I was like, yeah, motherfuckers. <laughs> That's not, that is what a way to go out. Oh my God. <laughs> but also like in college, I could, cause in high school you still have like, there's, there are some limitations into <laughs> wardrobe, but college I could sure. wear whatever the, whatever the fuck I want. And I, and I also wasn't, uh, there were other people that were dressed similar to me and other people that I, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that, that's my person. And uh-huh. that's my person. And I really, yeah, I really, uh, let loose. And I was, <laughs> I was really had a lot, I had a lot of fun. I had so much fun in college and, but I was also, <laughs> de- it's kind of like, I came out, that's when I fully came out of the cocoon and I feel like mm-hmm. I fully had my, my confidence then. Um, and I wasn't being bullied, obviously wasn't being bullied anymore. And, um, mm-hmm exposed to all sorts of new people and the film program was incredibly diverse. And so it was just like, um, it was really, uh, it was really an, an incredible time for me. And that also, and I was confident in myself, mm-hmm. but I, I, it took me a minute to get that confidence and I fully came out of the cocoon and I just owe a lot of that, that to, uh, Lydia and had never thought about really that, that impact until, mm-hmm. you know, years later. Well, now then I will, I, you know, I'll play the the fun game with you that we like to play here on the show, which is that like imagining the future of Lydia Dietz. And like, I have already expressed, I think she has girlfriends. I think she has boyfriends. I think Lydia Dietz is a pansexual witch. And I think that's what her life's going to be about. What is, what is your, what is your advanced timeline for Lydia? Well, what path is she walking? Well, pitching her as a, a, a pansexual witch, which basically makes her who I am now. So how <laughs> fabulous that is that, um, uh, I, I am her grown up now. So it's so funny because I, um, uh, with this, this game, I was just thinking like before we started, I jotted down really quick, the things that I thought on instinct without overthinking it, just like, yeah, yeah. okay, boom, what, what would it be? Yeah. So, uh, uh, I, I had, she is queer. Um, she's a <laughs> vegan. <laughs> you're, you're so, yeah, yeah, you're right. Definitely. She wouldn't dissect that frog. So that's like starting out. That's vegan, a great point. Which is great. Um, she, I think she is the, um, what basically if I wasn't directing movies or racing sled dogs, I would probably be in a librarian trying to give like R.L. Stein and, you know, books to, to, yeah, yeah like, and Sylvia Plath and all these things to, um, to young people. So I was like, uh, librarian probably writes her own, um, self-published cozy mysteries. She yeah. also she does. definitely she does. self-publishes fiction. Oh, she completely. totally does. Um, has a, uh, a farm with many animals. Like she's got the goats, <laughs> she's got the sheep, she's got all that in, in, in the, she's, I think she's would still stay in her. She wants to be close to Adam and Barbara. So still, I was going to say, do we in, think she's like around the house? Do we think she's in the house? Like, cause I see her as wanting to stick with Barbara and, and Adam. I think that the house, her parents, they, they have an agreement. The house gets left to her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it becomes her home. Mm. Um, and within the home, she has a dark room. She's still doing her <laughs> photographs. Yes. They're in the town coffee shop. Like people see her work. Yeah, um, yeah. And does the farming and gardening and takes care of these animals. She probably has bees and sells honey. Like yeah. she's doing all the things, <laughs> but is still doing all her photographs, is still yeah. leading her uh, uh, strange and unusual life and making sure 
the kids at coming to the local library are cultured and are rent are are taking out all the books they should be reading yeah. and is spreading sort of her uh dark magic through through literature and through movies. I completely see her as like like in uh, like in, in a in a story where you have like a kooky witch aunt like that's that's Lydia. She's yeah. she's good. She's good aunt Lydia. Like she is she is yeah. like the the aunt's to Sabrina the teenage witch kind of thing. Like totally. just living in like loose cloak like clothing at, at as often as possible. And yeah, I I like the be I like the apiary. I think that's completely happening. I think she didn't compromise and I think she lived the life that she wanted to. She doesn't compromise and she doesn't apologize. Yeah. <laughs> that we should is all be a so lovely, lucky. That is a lovely story for Lydia Dietz. I'm really happy about that. Um, <laughs> now, is there anything else you would like to say to, to mention uh, before we sign off? Um, man, I think I literally covered all the things I could think of about um about her. And I just like, again, want to say like, I'm so um, thankful that a character like her exists and existed for me. And at the age I saw her um, was so important for me because of it, it made me, it started giving me the confidence of like, of, of to be accepting and loving mm-hmm. myself and who I am. And um and I'll like forever be thankful for that. And I don't think I even really appreciated it until much later in life. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, uh, yeah, no apologies. She's a badass. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for bringing Lydia Dietz to our door. I love saying the name Lydia Dietz for bringing the, for bringing Lydia Dietz to our doorstep today, Chelsea, to talk about it and for taking the time to share with us about her. Well, thank you so much for having me. Always dream, always a dream doing a podcast with you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm and I got to talk about a movie and a character that I haven't gotten to talk about before. So that was really cool. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Considering how steeped we all are as urban mid-30-somethings in and around media and how many podcasts that means we have done, I think that is a (laughs) tremendous feat. Yes. Thank you so much. (laughs) That was Chelsea Stardust, folks. If you haven't seen her films yet, please do go check them out. And then before we end today, the one quick thing before I go is the thing that has been sitting on top of my heart and pressing down on it since Sunday, which is the finale of the show Yellow Jackets in season one. I have talked about it before on this show because I love it so much. And the season finale, uh, episode 10, was my favorite episode of the season. And it really delivered on the the culminate, the building tension between our two teen leads, um, Sophie Nalisa's Shauna and Ella Purnell's Jackie. They finally had the BFF confrontation we've been waiting for. And I am not the first person to say this. I'm not the only person to say this, but I will say it again. Um, I so cherish the way this show, and when anything, film or television, treats teen girl interpersonal drama with the gravity that it deserves. It is so often happens historically that 
entertainment that content for teen girls is dismissed as, oh, it's just something for girls. Like, it's a niche interest, you know, like, we're not half the fucking population. And this show gives the gravitas to a fight, a cataclysmic fight between two best friends that kind of, like, you know, if you watch it, life and death <laughs> implications that you emotionally feel like when you're in the throes of that moment. You you feel so afraid to go to your to your best friend with the truth of something, even if it's bothering you because you're afraid the world as you know it will end. And this show, and thanks to the, you know, the horror construction that it is delivered through, we get the opportunity to experience those, you know, lashes that Jackie and Shauna throw at each other as these physically wounding apocalypse level blows and I really respect the show for doing that and I also to the point of the mysteries of the show whatever theories you have whether you are uh on team infanticide uh whether you are on team ghosts in the woods whatever your crazy speculation about yellow jackets is I'm gonna say and I was talking to friend of the pod Emily Vanderwerf about this I hope in a lot of these mysteries that we just never know the answers. I don't want to know. I don't want to need to know what the symbol means. It's because it's not really about that. So like, you know, I, I I support the Reddit contingent of fandoms where they are spinning up all possibilities, narrative possibilities of where the show could go. But I, for one, they can take me wherever they want. I just want to be surrounded by high stakes girl drama and see one of the most incredible murderers row casts of actresses christina ricci juliette lewis melanie linsky tawny cypress in the adult timeline i'm riding this out on the strength of their relationships and their conflicts with one another mysteries whatever bring it on bring me the horror but i'm rooting for, i'm rooting for you ladies i'm rooting for you girls i'm rooting for you non-binary incredible actors that you have on this show queer cast queer content queer storylines um, it's got it all. So now is your time. You can get that uh, little trial subscription and you can binge that whole show in a weekend. So join the Blood Hive. We're waiting for you. And I'm going to need somebody to keep talking to me about this stuff uh, for the next however long until the show comes back. So come on, Blood Hive. Let's go. And that's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Scene Pod or join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Feeling Scene Pod. You can also send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me online, I'm Jorcrew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen, And I want to welcome our new producer, Marissa Flaxbart. Hi, Marissa. Thank you for your service. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.